Hear now the word of God. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, You shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this evening. Let's pray. Lord, we are sinners. And if you speak to us, but don't send your spirit, all we will do is reject what you say. So we ask that you would send your spirit, that you would be our helper and our guide. Cast your light upon this word so that We not only hear it without distraction, but so that we believe it without hesitation. Help us to receive and believe tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
I was visiting just outside with Marge, Grammy, a little bit ago. Uh, she didn't know there wasn't choir tonight, so we got to just have a whole long chat outside just talking about the church, and we were talking about one of the most precious things in the life of this church, which has been seeing children born here, uh, growing up into mature Christians, um, knowing the Lord, walking with the Lord, um, going off to college, and just especially that time period when there was just this massive number of little babies being born here in this church. And several of you, even here tonight, uh, were born in this church. Uh, you have been here your entire lives, um, and even your own children have been born in this church. And um, you have seen them grow up, and you've seen them mature. Um, and tonight, a very important person in the life of Israel grows and matures. And that person, of course, is Samuel. In the last chapter, we saw little Samuel in his cute little priestly robe every year. His mother's upgrading, giving him slightly larger robes each year. And, and what is he doing? He's learning to serve. He's learning to work. He's learning what life in the temple is like. And even though the examples he had were these flawed, sinful, half-hearted priests, we start to see even from an early age that this development has already begun in the life of Samuel. He is maturing essentially before our eyes. And in a sense, we'll focus on Samuel tonight, but make no mistake, the growth, the maturity, uh, the grace that we see in Samuel's life is all the work of God. So if anything, the growth of Samuel happens really in spite of those around him. And so because of that, even to see Samuel's growth isn't really to focus on Samuel. It's to focus on the God who gave Samuel the growth that he experiences here. And so tonight we'll see Samuel's maturity in two stages. The first is answering and the second is growing. Answering and growing. Uh, By the time we finish, I'm going to suggest that while Samuel is special, while Samuel is important to Israel's life in a unique way, he also is showing us what a growing, developing believer ought to see in his or her own life as well. And so we'll see those similarities, I think. So let's take a look. First, we see Samuel answering in the first 10 verses. Um, What we see is Samuel as a boy, he's serving in the temple. And the author wants us to know that the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. I, I remember a student in, in class at Bellhaven complaining. They were expressing some skepticism because they said, if God's real, why are all of these miraculous things and visions and prophecies happening in the Old Testament and now they don't ever happen? Why is it like that? And there's a lot, there are a lot of ways to approach answering a question like that. But part of the answer is that words from God and visions and prophecies are not the norm, not even in the Bible. They are always strange. They are always unique. They are always special when they take place. Um, There are other things that we could say, but I do think we need to get out of our head this idea that axe heads were just floating left and right in the Old Testament, that, that the oceans were just parting all the time wherever, wherever people went. Um, we need to get out of our heads this sort of caricature that the Old Testament was just rife with the miraculous. Um, it simply wasn't the case. No, there have been long, what you might think of as dry seasons. 
Um, And we need to look at the supernatural and the miraculous as the exception rather than the rule. We need to see them for what they are. They are special events. So whenever God speaks, it's extraordinary. Whenever he gives us a miracle, it is remarkable. And our passage begins a new season where God is going to begin ministering again to Israel. But first, he has to wake up his little prophet. Now, by this point, I don't know how old Samuel is. By, by this point, he could be uh, six years old. He could be 10 years old. He could be 15 years old. We don't know exactly. The text doesn't give us that information. Um, but Samuel is lying down in the tabernacle, and God begins to call to this little one. And, and I would just pause to say, say this. Children need to be in the church. Children need to be around the church. Uh, they need to be seen as part of the church. Um, the thing I love about being Presbyterian is we do not look at children as outsiders who maybe someday will be part of our group. Um, we don't look at children as outsiders who maybe someday they'll be a part of the body of Christ. Because they're baptized, actually because they're born to covenant parents, they're part of the covenant community. That's why we baptize them. That's why they're part of the church. Um, and so I love being Presbyterian because when you look at a room full of men and women, boys and girls, you're looking at the body of Christ. Uh, but from an early age, children need to know how to sit in church. They need to know how to listen. They need to be exposed to God's word as, as much as possible. And this doesn't mean children are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean they're going to behave themselves. It doesn't mean they're not going to be distracted. Um, but it does mean that, that we, as, as parents, as adults, we shouldn't write them off as though they could never learn. Um, Aaron and I are, are still have our kids at home, obviously, and, and each of them has grown up in their own way, and, and some of them are in different stages. But, you know, at, there did come a point in our older children's lives, I'm being very careful not to mention their names because I don't want to owe them money, uh, but there, uh, there, there came points in our older children's lives where we realized they're listening to the sermons. Mainly, it shows up when they start talking to us about the text, when they ask us questions about the sermon. One of my favorite things is getting home, and my older kids will ask me questions about the sermon. And we get to have a great conversation over lunch about it. And uh, I suspect that, that with many of you, you had a moment in your children's lives where you felt like it was finally paying off, that you were doing the extra work of having them in the service. Yes, it's difficult. It's so tough to teach a child to sit. It's so difficult to get them used to being in a room where someone's just talking for 30 minutes instead of having a screen in their face. Kids love screens. And they're learning. They have to learn. And you've probably had those moments too, those, those sweet moments where you go, wow, they're actually listening. They're actually understanding what's going on. Um, um, There will be no moment like that for them if you do not bring them. If we do not bring our children and we don't give them the chance, there will be no moment where we realize they're listening to the scripture and they're listening to the sermon. Um, There will be no moment where the sermon becomes the most interesting thing in the room. Um, and so we need to teach them early on to participate. That's what Samuel's doing. Samuel's in the temple. He's part of things. It's not like they kind of said, well, go to junior priest school over here. They said, here, be in the temple. And so one application I would make as parents is very blatantly is bring them as often as you can. As often as the church doors are open, bring the children. Um, get them used to hearing the word. Get them used to hearing preaching. Get them used to actually hearing the Bible explained. Uh, condition them to understand that the Bible is the most important book that they'll ever read. 
that they'll ever have explained to them. Um, and then I guess I have an application if you aren't a parent. And by the way, uh, I don't say this because this is actually a problem here. People in this church appreciate having children. Um, but be patient with children who are here. That is still the application, though. Be, be patient with the children who are in the services. Uh, they'll make noise. They'll drop their toys, probably. Um, they'll distract in little ways. But just, just uh, be patient with the parents. Be patient with the little ones. Um, and if you ever feel impatient, just remember or imagine how sterile a church feels that doesn't have the sounds of children in it. Samuel is in the temple. And Samuel hears the voice of God, and Samuel discovers that it isn't Eli that he hears. It's not Eli, it's actually God. It it sounds like Eli to him. To his ears, he thinks, this must be Eli speaking to me, but it is not Eli, it is Yahweh. It's interesting that God sounds to Samuel's ear like Eli. He hears the voice. He says to himself, Eli is calling me over and over again. This happens. And he keeps listening and he keeps hearing the same thing. The voice of God to him sounds like Eli, like his minister. God's voice sounds to Samuel like the voice of Samuel's minister. Samuel's minister, the one who has in his own weak way, very weak way, taught Samuel all that he knows. Now, here's what I would say. I've thought a lot about this, and I've I've thought about what this could mean for us. The fact that God is speaking, but it sounds like the minister. If you sit under the word for long enough, you may have a moment where you mistake the word of God for the word of the minister. Um, You may have a moment where you think you are only hearing something from your pastor, or something from the preacher, whether it's myself or Robert or Levi or someone else who fills the pulpit. You may think you're only hearing their voice. You will think that you're hearing their opinion when they're speaking. But if it's faithfully explained, if it's faithfully expounded, if it comes from the text, it will actually be God himself speaking, even though it sounds to you like the voice of a man. Now, here's where that matters. Um, And this is the application. Even if what I just said doesn't make sense, maybe this will. If you've ever heard a hard thing from the pulpit, uh, again, whether it's uh, from from Robert, whether it's from me, whether whether it was from Merle, um, whether it's anybody that's preached in this church, if you have heard a hard thing from the pulpit and it struck you the wrong way or it sounded like something you didn't like, maybe... Maybe you've heard me preach on, on something and you've said to yourself, man, Pastor Adam has a really strict view of the stat- Sabbath. Um, he's mentioned that before. He said it would be a good idea if we didn't eat out on the Sabbath. He sure is strict. Or maybe you've had that thought. Um, or maybe, maybe you've thought, man, the pastor says that all images of God are wrong, even images of, of Jesus. That seems too strict. I wonder why he's so strict. Or any other thing. Maybe there's some other issue that you've, you've thought to yourself, huh, my, my pastor has an odd opinion. You can end up believing that you have not heard from God when those things were said. And you maybe you even sort of explain it away by saying that was just his opinion. That was just 
the pastor. But I would suggest this. In the moment you think that, you think you are just hearing my opinion or someone else's opinion on the matter. But if I am being truthful and if I am being accurate in how I'm handling the scripture, you are actually not hearing Pastor Parker's opinion. You're actually not hearing just the opinion of a man. You're really hearing what God says. Just like Samuel thought he was hearing the voice of Eli. So here's the application of this. Have you ever written off something you heard from the pulpit just as an opinion or just as the view of the pastor? You could be making the same mistake as little Samuel here. It has to be checked against the word of God. That's the question. How do you know when it's the voice of God? And how do you know it's not just the pastor uh, spouting his opinion or getting on his soapbox? You know, we get on soapboxes. I've got soapboxes. You guys know what my soapboxes are. How do you know the difference? How can you tell the difference? How do you, if you're in, you're in Samuel's position and you hear something and you think to yourself, is this God or is this Eli? And the answer is, hold it up to the word. Hold it up to the scripture. Does the book say this? Because see, ultimately, our consciences are held captive by the scripture, not by the soapbox of the pastor. Um, If the person preaching is just going on a rant, it isn't connected to the text, he isn't explaining it well, I would suggest that you have the right to say, this is not God who is speaking to me. But if you, if you just don't like what is being said, if you just don't like the message, if it seems too harsh to you, you actually have a duty to change your way of thinking and to ask God to help you change your way of living to match what God says, not the other way around. That's a tremendous danger for us to write off when we hear the word of God faithfully explained because we don't like the conclusion of it. We need to be very careful. So I don't think that application is a stretch. I certainly think it's not exactly the intention of the text to say that. And at the same time, I I hope you see that there is some application to be made there. Decide for yourself. If you think I'm being wacky, talk to me after the service. Um, But we can make the same mistake that Samuel makes here. When God talks to Samuel, Samuel responds to him. He says, speak for your servant hears. And then God responds by giving him this word. It's a dreadful word. He says, I'm about to punish Eli's house forever because his sons were blaspheming and he didn't restrain them. Now, you saw this in the passage last week. We already saw the verdict of God on Eli's sons. A prophet who is never named in the text already has done this. He's come to Eli. He's basically said the same thing that God tells Samuel here. These boys are both going to die. They're men now. These men are both going to die on the same day, and that's going to be the sign to Eli that this really is God's curse on his household. And then what does God do with Samuel? He confirms his message. He, he wants to reiterate to Eli, and I wonder if it's possible that Eli has become fatalistic about his sons and hasn't done anything about it. Think about this. The very first prophetic task for Samuel is to look at this man whom he has grown up with, who's really been like a father to him in many ways, and to deliver to him a dreadful message. Think of this. This man has to be almost like his father or maybe more like his grandfather, but still important to his life. 
The same thing happens with these other prophets that we see in Israel's history. You have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, uh, you have the other prophets as well. And what is their first act as a prophet? It's not to come to the people and say, good news, everything's great in the land. All of these prophets, their very first act is to bring bad news. God is going to lay this land waste. You're, You're going to hear me speak, but you won't believe it. That's the first prophecy of Isaiah. So being a prophet means saying things people don't want to hear. Now, we don't have prophets today. I did get a letter from a guy who said he was a prophet, but, uh, you know, he, I, I thought the letter was written from a different uh, uh, magazines cut out and it sort of looked like a ransom note. So I didn't take that guy too seriously. Um, but being a prophet means saying things people don't want to hear. And sometimes God tells us things in his word that we don't like. He tells us things about ourselves that we'd rather not face. Things that we don't want to hear. He delivers us bad news. He does. Even today, we get bad news from God, from the Bible. And part of growing in Christ means that we learn to listen for the bad news and we learn to respond to it with repentance. Paul warns us in, in the last days, people will look for teachers to tickle their ears, to say things that they want, want them to hear. And yet, isn't it our duty as Christians to be eager to hear God tell us the truth, even if it hurts? It, it seems like Eli has learned this, by the way. He responds, he says, it is Yahweh. Let him do what seems good to him. Isn't that an interesting response? He's, it's a very humble response. I think what's happened here is Eli has heard this message before. It may be why he has already resigned himself to this. Um, Samuel has grown up in the temple. He's been exposed to the things of God. And God uses these circumstances to bring Samuel to him and to bring Samuel into his service. Um, And so it is with us. So it should be with our children. We need to be in church We need to be around the word. We need to be surrounded by it so that God can use the word through the scripture to change us and change our hearts. That's how things begin. That's how things are supposed to be. So first, Samuel answers God. But second, we see Samuel growing. Um, This is interesting. Verse 1 begins with Samuel being referred to as a na'ar, which is probably translated boy. Um, but look at, at what he is by verse 20. By verse 20, the passage calls him a Navi in the Hebrew. He goes from being a Na'ar, a boy, to being a Navi, a prophet. He goes from being a boy to a prophet. Passage says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. This is a passage about a fledgling and growing prophet. He develops a reputation for maturity, a a reputation for service. The scripture actually says, the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, we aren't prophets, but we are commanded to grow. Scripture gives us this important command to grow, to to go deep. It's it's an imperative. There, There should be more to us than simply someone who prayed a prayer at some point in our lives. Um, If we are content to dip our toes in the water, 
but we're not willing to go all the way in. We are missing out on all we were meant for. Listen to the writers of Scripture. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, he laments the spiritual state of the people in Corinth. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. That's He's describing new Christians. And then he says, and even now you're not yet ready. He spent years pouring himself into this church, and he is distressed because they have not grown deep. They are still shallow Christians. Think about this. Paul ministered in this church. He preached in this church. He discipled them. And now here they are years later, and they're happy to remain shallow. And it breaks his heart. That theology stuff is for other people. Or think about the author of Hebrews. He says something very similar. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. By the way, a passage like that is why some people say, maybe this is Paul that wrote Hebrews, or a sermon of Paul's. See, being interested in God, wanting to know him better, wanting to know the scriptures better, wanting to dive into the deep things of God, these are not things for a special class of Christians. These are are not optional. This is why God and his providence ordained and inspired these exact words to be written and passed to us so we would hear that God wants more for us than just milk. Now, what do these words tell us? They tell us that baked into the human nature is a type of laziness that pulls us away from the knowledge of God and tempts us into shallow faith. This temptation is as old as the church itself. It's as old as Corinth. And yet God is here even in these texts. What is he doing? He's waking us up. He's shaking us and he's telling us, you need to grow. Stop just drinking milk. Imagine, imagine how we would think of the book of Samuel if it was a very different story. If by the end of the story, Samuel was still a boy. If he'd lived for 50 years and he was still a little baby. Like at first it would be really adorable. And then by the end, it would be like a horror story. We would be horrified. If he stayed little his entire life, that would be a tragedy. Now... Growth is hard and growth comes with its costs. Growth is painful. Um, uh, we were just having a debate over lunch about this, but my, my youngest one lost his first loose tooth. Didn't say his name. It, it might seem, I, I think it might seem funny, um, but it was an emotional moment, at least for my wife, it was an emotional moment to have our littlest one lose his first tooth. Because here, here we are probably with our last child, unless the Lord does something. Um, our last first loose tooth. And, and part of us just wants him to stay this little boy forever and, and never grow up. Part of us wants that. We need to grow as individual Christians, but we also need to grow as a church. And, and just like I resist seeing my son grow bigger and lose his teeth and eventually turn into a man. The idea of him one day not being in our house and and no longer being a man is very distressing to me. Uh, There's something about me that's happy at the thought and there's something sad about that thought. 
And I think in the church, we might want things to stay the same and never change too. I think that impulse of wanting to see your child grow and not wanting to see your child grow is very real in the church. Um, I know the idea of churches ever changing or growing is at once attractive and repulsive, and maybe you see this in your own heart too. Um, the pastors have a joke, and I don't know, I'm t- maybe this is like comedians telling their, telling their stories uh, that they do behind the scenes, but pastors have a, sort of a joke that every church is looking for someone dynamic, someone exciting, someone with leadership abilities who will help the church change and grow by staying exactly the same way it's always been. Um, that's what churches want. Can you accomplish this? Um, can you make us grow and change and do something miraculous and make sure nothing changes? Um, they, pastors joke about it because every pastor has felt that tension, that tension between things need to change and yet nobody should notice. <laughs> And it's basically impossible. It's basically impossible to do that. And there's this tension in all of us as church members, probably. We want the church to grow. We want the church to be just like we want our child to grow. But growth comes with these small losses, these things that we don't get to have again, right? It's like a last first tooth, or yeah, it's like a a first last tooth, right? The absence of something that we once treasured, that we maybe loved for a very long time. Seeing a church grow might involve that. And I'm not talking about number growth. I'm really not. I'm not talking about number growth. I mean growing deep. Um, Seeing things done in a way we didn't do them before. Well, we haven't always done it that way. Um, That is uh, something that pastors always hear. We've never done it that way before. And yeah, we might have to see something that we love not done anymore. Um, We may like the idea of changing if it means reaching out to more people or seeing numerical growth, but we might hate it in practice, or at least we can hate it in practice. Um, As a church grows deeper or as a church gets bigger, as more people do come, more people, they might feel sidelined, especially as new people get plugged in, as people get involved, or uh, we might not like that some tradition we used to do goes away, or maybe the new pastor just screws it up, which I have definitely done. And, uh, and things change in a way we're not comfortable with, right? Things just don't feel like they used to. But the only thing more upsetting than change is stagnation. Samuel will not remain that little boy. We're all grateful that he grows into a man. We're glad that he grows into a prophet. God ends up using him greatly. But this section concludes with 4 verse 1 telling us, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So you see this arc that Samuel's on, right? First, he's a little boy who doesn't even know what the voice of God sounds like. And then he's a young man who has a hard message for his mentor and his father figure. And then finally, he grows into a man who takes the word of God to others. He's, he's used by God to do something very badly needed in Israel. They had not had the voice of God in a long time. And so he brings spiritual food to Israel and God uses him to grow Israel. He's grown up. He stopped living on milk. He's been eating meat. And as a consequence, he's used by God to bring the word. Let me just suggest this as we close. Even when Samuel speaks as a prophet, his job is just to speak God's word after him. He's, He's not a servant of his own opinions. He works for God. 
Now, you and I are not prophets, right? But each and every one of us as Christians, we're meant to share the words and contents of Scripture with the people who are in our orbit, right? I'm not saying that we should be street preachers. I'm not saying we should necessarily turn into Kirk Cameron and be some kind of great evangelist. I'm not saying that you, I'm just saying you have people in your life that God has placed there so that you would tell them the gospel that has meant so much to you. I know you're, you're probably bashful, you're, you're probably timid, but, but look, there is hope here. The text tells us that God is the one who let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And so Samuel gets none of the credit for the success of his labor and his work. The text doesn't say he's a great speaker. It doesn't say he's a dynamic presenter. It just says, God used Samuel to bring the word to Israel. And he made sure that none of his words got wasted. So God uses a man to do it, but all of the credit, all the attention goes to God. Paul reminds us how this works in 1 Corinthians 3, 7. He says, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so this means something for us. As you go out and form relationships and make friends and introduce yourself to your neighbors you have a word that they need to hear. Um, even if they're a Christian, they need encouragement. If they're not a Christian, then they need to see the gospel shine forth in your life, in the way that you live, the way you act, and in your words when you have opportunities to speak to them. And if you're filled with doubt and uncertainty, if you feel like a failure, that's, that's fine. All that matters is that you don't doubt God's ability to keep the words that you're speaking from falling to the ground. He did it for Samuel. We can trust he'll do that from the pulpit of this church as well. And he'll do it for us too. He'll keep this promise. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, you are the one who gives the growth. You have taken us as your people from various ages and backgrounds, and you've worked a miracle in our own hearts, bringing us to yourself. But would you grow us, Lord? Would you take us from drinking milk to eating the riches and the fat that your word has to offer? Build up our knowledge of your word of true doctrine. Help us not to stop there. Use us in our daily lives, in our relationships, to build up other believers, but also to share the goodness of your gospel with the people you bring across our path that need to know you. Protect us from fear. Protect us from being timid. Help us to remember that you are the one who keeps your word and gives the growth. We are just your servants. Make it so, we ask, O God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.